distance Join the resistance Come on, let's start by talking tactics Have a pass and match this Here's how we practice Hey everybody, welcome to Pop Culture Continuums, John Elliott. This is Patrick Riccardi. And once again... Hi, I'm back. God damn it, we let me announce you. <laughs> Our guest, Michael Morris. Hi, I'm back. Hey. Yay, and uh, well, Michael had some big news this weekend, personal life. I don't know if you want to tell everybody, Michael. What was it? I had a taco party on Saturday night, my mother was there. Um, she is crazy. Um, that's about it. All right. <laughs> that was Michael's big news, a taco <laughs> party. Really kind of the opposite of his actual big news. <laughs> well, it's true. I got married on Friday um, to my partner of 20 years, and fuck it, Supreme Court. We are legal now, and um, I want um, all the access to his bank accounts um, that <laughs> I've been denied for years. Um, I want our credit cards to be in the same names, like blah, blah, blah. Like I want it all, all the important stuff. And now I want legislation to stop other gays and straights from getting married. I want it to be even <laughs> more exclusive so that I can discriminate against those who aren't married. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, well, congratulations on uh, <laughs> taking part in a uh, outmoded and meaningless patriarchal <laughs> tradi- tradition, I guess. Kudos to you. I, I, the cash. I, I, I was going to say congratulations on your your goal of, of becoming the oppressor. <laughs> it's really more about that. Yeah, frankly. yeah. Well, that they, is the important part of marriage, I think. Exactly. Get something so you can use it against someone else. That's the, my basic plan in life. I'll just assume my invitation got lost in the mail. Ass. Oh yes, maybe that's what happened, or maybe not. Yeah, I'm thinking probably not. That you know what? That's all right. I uh, I got I, an invitation. Yeah, Pat was there. Well, I I, I knew uh, yeah I, I knew some of the people who would likely be there, so I'm all right with not going. It was a dance party. You're not a dancer. You're more of a singer, as I recall. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, you do the uh, karaoke stuff a lot, right? Yeah, that's. I don't think most people consider that being a singer, but yeah, oh. it's true. <laughs> oh, I'll go to dance parties though. Oh, I love it when people come to, like, you know, $25,000 worth of dance party that I'm throwing and then stand against the bar. That's my favorite thing. Well, see, then you you should invite me. I I don't know what the problem (laughs) is. Somebody's got to be there to to comment on the uh, fashion. Just go hideous all night. (laughs) Oh, that was me. That's my job. (laughs) I will say I considered you, if that gives you um, any thought, but then Pat talked me out of it. And uh, he was there instead. Yeah, that, that does nothing for me, really. <laughs> but congratulations on, uh, on Thank you. sticking it to the man. Uh, in more than uh, one sense. <laughs> you got me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Thanks. I'm not yeah. off the market, though. If you, uh, if you have any um, uh, handsome male friends who are into experimentation. I'm, sure, I'm kidding. I'm sure you're husband will uh will appreciate he's kidding that. they don't have to be handsome right <laughs> they could be pretty ugly it's fine with me wait as but long as they're rugged <laughs> in california weren't the laws pretty like lenient on like on what partners could could oh yeah get from each other okay i, totally. I thought so i mean you weren't 
you wouldn't have been totally fucked or anything. Like, if, if, uh, could you be next of kin considered that before you were married or no? Well, the problem was that you could, although you could be in California, you, you aren't, um, from the federal perspective or you weren't from the federal perspective. And from the federal perspective, like they could take everything if one of us were to die and the state would take, you know, less, but like the federal, is the one that takes the biggest share. Thanks, um, Obama. <laughs> but the the just in general, it's just kind of like the big like fuck you to all the people who like the you know the the crazy religious people and the um, the oh, maniacs no. who totally who don't I, want us to have it. I think marriage as a fuck you is is the only real reason for marriage. <laughs> I mean, it's really I'm not like a big romantic person. I just felt like, well, come on, it's been twenty years. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not going to, like, start screwing around now, so might as well get married, right? Have a party. That's all it was about. I just wanted to have a nice party. No, Invite yeah. everyone you know. <laughs> Except well, for one Almost. Person. Except for John. <laughs> all right. I, I, I'm through well, before, being... Before we go any further, I think this is a good time for Michael to start insulting Neil. It's so hard to insult Neil. Neil yeah, Neil's so nice. nice guy i will tell you i know an embarrassing story about neil that would make him blush and i'm sure he remembers telling me this but i don't know if i should tell it on on the show because it's it's um maybe like one percent racy oh a, a whole i could 1%. be convinced to tell it uh yeah Please do <laughs> do it is that all remember how the awful thing, things he said about you Oh, but that's nothing. Like you can say anything. I can take it. Believe me. Like bring it on. Like there's nothing you guys could do that would ever really offend me. Um, but I will say, in the interest of getting even, <laughs> Neil once told me uh, recently that he was watching um, uh, Singing in the Rain when he was younger, and um, that he thought that he told his friend that. Um, Debbie Reynolds was really hot. <laughs> and I think that's pretty embarrassing. That's embarrassing for a number of reasons, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the way he said it, he's so earnest and, like, such a nice guy. And I'm not saying this just because I know he's listening eventually. But, like, to hear him say that is, like, one of those innocent, like, goofy things that uh, I would be embarrassed to admit. All but, right. Uh, early, uh, early TV or movie crushes. Let's go. Uh, Betty Rubble. That was mine. <laughs> Cindy on the Brady Bunch. Mm, definitely any of those boys on the Brady Bunch. Maybe Greg. Any of the really even Bobby. Maybe not Bobby. When until he got older, but Greg definitely, definitely. All right. Well, it's two two real people in a cartoon. Uh-huh. <laughs> Seems right. Well, I think I think it's not early TV, but I think we we can all agree we had a crush on Data. Oh yeah, of course. Who's Data? From Star- you mean from don't, Star Trek? Don't even. Yes. <laughs> the next generation. Right. You know, I had more of a thing for Riker after he grew the beard. Riker had kind of fucked up eyes, though. I couldn't figure out like he did. He was like the one who sort of looked like uh, William Shatner, and I thought, well, are they trying to like make a visual like? Is it supposed to be comfortable that he looks like William Shatner a little bit, or what? And then you know he gets sort of chubby, and then. Um, he was easy to sort of dismiss, and Patrick Stewart like came on full force, like super hot, um, and he's so hot even now. 
Oh, Patrick Stewart. Uh, I don't think he's aged. And he's like 72 or 75 or something crazy like that. And he's married to some like 22-year-old or something. Right. Yeah. And like Patrick, like Ian McKellen is the same age, I think, as Patrick Stewart. And they look 20 years different. So handsome. I, I love the all the stuff that they're, they're doing together lately. So I guess they're doing Waiting for Godot. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, on Broadway. And, they, and at, when they're off stage, they're doing all kinds of fun stuff that people take pictures of them doing. So that's neat. They're awesome. I just think, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't want to have sex with Patrick Stewart? Tell me about it. I mean, he's so perfect. Like that voice. Yeah, and you know, as soon as you're getting ready to do something, he would just be like, "Make it so." Mm, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hi. Well, oh, gray, hot. <laughs> I guess we should uh, talk about the actual subject at some point. Merry Christmas. Oh, we we didn't even give the subject. We have which... not. We have no. We haven't even stated it. That's that's more <laughs> what I'm saying. I guess we should at least state it before we go off on tangents. Uh, <laughs> Pat, you wanna? I forget what it is. Oh, we were comparing three Christmas movies. We each picked one. They're kind of uh, not not traditional Christmas movies. And I I picked what what was the mean? Curse of the Catwoman. Cat Curse, people. Curse people. the Cat People. Yes. And Michael picked. I picked out of um, great love for the many versions of um, A Christmas Carol that I have seen. I picked the one that I've seen the least, but I think is the weirdest, which is um, Carol for Another Christmas, which is a movie from 1964. A TV movie. A TV movie, which was only shown once and then never seen again until last year TCM played it twice. Um, and I happened to like just catch it by random chance and... DVD recorded it and um, had it on a DVD so I can watch it whenever I want to. And I picked um, what did I, oh, In Bruges. And that's the most recent one. So I guess we can start with uh, Curse of the Cat People. Fuck, I forgot my notes. Ah, well. Um, (laughs) I I don't really need notes for this movie. Um, Pat, you want to give an overview, if that's possible, of this um, It's a, fest. A, a sequel to a, a horror movie that um, didn't have much to do with the original movie. Uh, it's a, a little girl who, a lonely little girl, who tries to find uh, happiness at Christmas time. I guess that's what it could be. I don't know. It, it was it supposed to be a horror movie. Was did anybody see the original Cat People? I, I did. Because um, they alluded to, like, the guy, the father's ex-wife was a part of the the original movie, and then he remarried and had this girl in this one. But I don't, I had no idea what happened um, in the original. The original is, is, and certainly not to take away from Pat's expertise, since this is his film, but I will tell you, I've seen it recently, that the first Cat People movie was, um, like, so the father, the dude, the man, the, the guy that is in the second movie as well, um, meets this like exotic foreign woman and it's very noir and it's very like shadowy and there's lots of like beautiful um, sort of mysterious noir stuff in this movie. And, Charoscuro. And, uh, yes. Um, they went to one of those kind of restaurants where they put the meat on the stick. That's yes, what you exactly. mean, right? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Brazilian. <laughs> so after they finished their meal it was very filling um they came back and she's apparently like 
she's got some un, some secret that is propelling her through life and away from people. And she essentially, um, they never show her turning into a cat. It's very like mysterious and blah, blah, blah. But she turns into like a panther um, at different times. And she will go out and kill people. Uh, I think she can't control it or she has to turn into a cat every so often. They don't really go into the details of it at all, but he thinks she's crazy because she tells him that she's a cat person and it's a curse from her family, blah, blah, blah. And um, essentially he starts getting interested in another woman. Um, Wait, back up. He marries the cat lady. Um, She, he starts, their marriage is weird. He starts getting interested in another woman um, she gets jealous. She starts turning into a cat to try to kill that other woman. And essentially, um, it all backfires on her and she gets um, shot, I think, in the zoo uh, or something like that. It's There's a lot of zoo scenes. I can't quite remember. But the second movie is the same man and the same woman that he started like uh, a second relationship with. And they're um, married and they have a – okay, so that makes sense. Yeah. Although it woman, does Sorry. No, I was going to say, I, I was just confused because this movie has nothing to do with cats. Right. Or cat no, it's, people. No, it's the, the, the only reason they use this title is because the producers insisted. The guy who made the, what's his name? The guy who, who wrote the movie wanted to call this movie A Little Girl and Her Friend. But it was the, the money people back, insisted to have some connection to the first movie in title so that more people go to say it. Well, yeah, I, I have to side with the money people on that one. Curse of the Cat People is much better title than a little girl and her friend. Well, maybe <laughs> I got that name wrong. It might be the girl's name, but whatever. <laughs> and it makes absolutely no sense that the, 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 her fought the, the same actors are in the second movie that were in the first movie. And the, the father, um, uh, the daughter, Amy is, seeing the cat lady from the first movie who is so dead. that was the same actress it yeah. was the same, simone simon i think it is mm-hmm. and that she's seeing her as a ghost and there's no reason why it's just like completely a new movie no there, uh, that's what i thought too this movie makes no fucking sense it does there was no reason for her to see the dead wife as a ghost like that went nowhere right they weren't related there no. was no connection to them. Like they weren't blood related. It was, she wasn't her daughter secretly or anything like that. She just the the ghost just was like, "Hey, my my old husband's got a new a daughter. I'm gonna fuck with her," you know. But it was it wasn't like um, scary. It was like she was her friend. Yeah, so and that, yeah. and this little girl needed friends because at the beginning, she's like chasing after a butterfly because she wants a butterfly to be her friend. So. You know this little bitch out of her damn liver snap mind right off the bat. <laughs> and then that creepy boy kills the butterfly. Everybody in so this movie... So all the other kids are jerks. <laughs> all the other kids are jerks. The adults are all kind of assholes the, in this the movie. The father's a real asshole. Tell me you're lying. You're lying! <laughs> well, and at, at the beginning, they're, like, talking to her, the little girl's teacher about, like, her her imagination and, and how she's, you know, all, all uh, googly-goog and... Uh, and the, the teacher was like, well, maybe it's your fault. Did you ever think of that? Do you remember that? <laughs> the, the people are all horrible in this movie. And then she meets some crazy old woman who is is like the early version of uh, Norma Desmond. Right. She's like an old actress who's, I think, was she a, like an ex-actress, right? 
I, I didn't that. get that detail. Yeah, I, I got that she was like an old rich woman and the she her own daughter was like kind of a mean bitch who was living with her and she was suspicious of her. Well, she didn't believe didn't that it was her, her daughter. I think the old woman was just, she was senile. And yeah. her and the daughter was taking care of her, and she she was just bitter that her, mo- her own mother couldn't remember her, so she took it out on the little girl, until yeah. later. Well, later. yeah, I, I thought she was an actress. I don't know I, why. I really I... liked the movie, and I'm surprised how much you guys hated it. <laughs> Actually, I really liked it too, but I think that it made no fucking sense. Yeah, I was like, this movie turned into a different movie after, like the the whole like. You know, there's like a, a third of the way through. It's they go back to the old lady's house, and I'm like, what? Where did she come from? Why is this even here? It's not even the same story. It's just so bizarre. Yeah, she. So she, the the little girl with no friends, um, and and they make it a point to show how terrible the other children are to this little girl. Right. Um, because. Right. Because they, she didn't invite her to her birthday well, I, party. I, liked, I thought that was a funny, a funny part where she, she thought she sent the letters because she put them in the mailbox in the tree. Yeah, she thought the tree was a mailbox. So she's got obvious right. issues, and it, it, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it. Why none of the other kids would want to hang with her? <laughs> right. Um, she just has a good imagination. Her father told her that, and he, be- she believed her for some reason. Really, you shouldn't believe someone who marries a cat woman. That's first <laughs> lesson number one. <laughs> Yeah, but then when you befriend the dead cat woman, maybe, maybe... She didn't know it was a cat woman. She was just her friend. It was just a so woman. She, so as the movie goes, she does make two friends, the old lady and the dead lady. Right. That, <laughs> exactly the, the kind of friends every young girl wants. <laughs> and needs. It just seemed like an excuse to like say, hey, girls... Just think whatever you want. Like you don't have to live in reality. Like you put your mailbox, put put your letters in a tree, and they'll magically get to the person that they need to get to. And what I what I like is that the the writer whose name I should know because it's semi famous, but he the the tree thing is taken from his life. He actually did that. <laughs> I didn't know that. It's amazing. Like it's it's cute. It's sweet. Like there's some there's this, these elements that you think it's gonna, it's going to be sort of like about the girl. Um, that that aren't so fantastical, like you know, she's gonna like stop being this um, too attached to her imagination, or they're gonna make her imagination sort of like triumph in some way, and it just sort of doesn't quite catch the way you expect it to. And no, and I I, I actually like that though. I, I they made they set it up to be a horror movie, and it really wasn't a horror movie. Not they at set, all. That well, that I think that threw me off. Like every every. Uh, line of of the story that I thought was going somewhere went nowhere, and that's that's why it was sort of interesting. I was trying to figure it out the whole time. I was like, "Where is this going? And what is this?" And I, if I saw it in the theater, I'd probably be just as confused because we're we're seeing it without all the marketing that was behind it or whatever poster there was, you know, outside the uh, Bijou or wherever people saw it. Right, right. and I, with I, no I fresh post- mem- memory of the original Cat People. Sure. Movie, yeah. And yeah. The the poster probably had some depiction of a cat on it, which would have really made things fucking confusing. Right. <laughs> well, it's just why do a sequel that is so completely unrelated that you could have just used different characters? <laughs> it didn't need to be the cat lady. It could have been brand new mother, father, and a ghost. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. Well, I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I can't defend that. 
Because <laughs> it's not like there there wasn't mentions of if it was just like the same actors and the producers were like, well, I'll just call it the same thing. But there's actually mentions of it in the script where he's like, well, my ex-wife had a flights of fancy just like her, and it's like, dude, who cares? They're not related in any way. Yeah, true. It it just made no sense. It it baffled me, and it had weird dialogue and like the the dead the dead ghost woman was kind of a terrible actress and uh the uh, there was one thing where like the teacher was over and, and the dad went to punish the girl for saying she saw the the ghost and uh and the teacher was like oh her first spanking it's a it's an important milestone or something i was like what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about <laughs> obviously you're not a teacher <laughs> and, then, and then i am not and then the uh, so so she meets the old lady and she's hanging out with her and the and the old lady's daughter who the old lady doesn't believe is her daughter she thinks she's an imposter uh, her daughter resents the attention that that the old lady's given the little girl and at one point she says if that little girl comes here again I swear I'll kill her <laughs> which seems like a bit of an overreaction <laughs> but yeah but they bad. Great overplayed line, though. <laughs> because there's something about a necklace, right? The mother gave the girl a necklace? Or a ring. Or a ring or something. Yeah. Right. And the ring is what brought the, the ghost out. Oh, is it? That's what it seemed like. She put the ring on, and then that's when the ghost appeared. See, I thought that seemed completely unrelated. Like the ring. Well, I think I think yeah. in the end it wasn't. There was nothing. Nothing was related to anything. But I. I mean, when I started watching the movie, I thought the old lady was going to be a witch and. Blah, yeah, blah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, but she wasn't. She was just an old lady who died on the stairs on Christmas Eve. <laughs> You've just given away the ending. And oh, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, the daughter was mad about that too. You didn't even <laughs> let me witness my mother's death. <laughs> she says to the little girl something i've been dreaming of for, for years and years yeah i don't i don't think the ring had anything to do with it the little girl was uh painted out to be schizophrenic from the beginning so i don't think yeah. that brought the ghost on or anything it's just weird like the, simone simon is supposed to be like a very famous actress in france and she was supposed to be a big draw to this movie from what i understand or to the first one for sure and it seemed like they 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 put her there or it was so incidental and the whole thing didn't really matter. And it was an interesting story. If you don't think about the first movie at all and it not well done, not particularly well done, enjoyable because you don't know what you're going to get and it gets weirder and it's completely like, uh, like it doesn't go where you think it's going to go at all. No. And like when that, when the, in the end, you know, she's, She's run away from home, and she's run to the old lady's house, and she's you know running up the stairs, and the old lady dies, and then um, she's coming back down the stairs, and the the daughter, the old lady's quote unquote daughter, is coming up the stairs to strangle her, and she's moving so slowly, <laughs> you know, it's like what? Like she's thinking. <laughs> well, she did just see her mother die from climbing the stairs, so maybe she's trying to pace herself. <laughs> And they're the the whole time like the front door is open and it's freezing cold outside, and I'm like close the fucking door like it's got to be so cold in that place, and the door's wide open and there's snow coming in and blah 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 and she's about to strangle the child and that's when the special effects take over. <laughs> yeah, the child sees the woman who's about to strangle her as the ghost, and then and the says, ghost that, the ghost that told her recently that she can never see her again. Yeah. Right. 
And then that's why she left the house because she missed her so much and she wanted to find her. So she sees the ghost and just needs to hug her. So yeah. Right. So she hugs the woman who's going to strangle her, who's kind of starts strangling her. But once <laughs> she gets hugged, the magic is the magic is there. The magic of love turns a, turns the exactly. strangle into a hug. So if you're ever uh, being attacked on the street, just just hug the person. I think <laughs> that's all it takes. <laughs> That actually reminds me. I thought of a good a good tip for people who wanted to avoid being mugged or attacked when they're out in the city streets. Just wear headphones, and when they they threaten you with a knife, point at your ears and say, "I can't hear you," and keep walking. And that's <laughs> guaranteed. I, if I were you, I would make sure to listen to actual music so you're not lying because it's not good. To, it's not cool to lie. But if you just do that, they they won't bother you. They'll move on to the next person who can hear them. We I should. Think- uh, we should have a blog post so that everyone in the world will know about that. Yeah, I think I, that's what the police recommend. Or uh, pretend you're Sting, retarded. Sting Sting does, or is it the other guys? A good one. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I get it. That's so, an 80s band. <laughs> mm. So you like the movie, Pat. Yeah, I thought it was a... It was it was it was crazy and didn't make any sense, but it also did make sense as far as Christmas movies go because you know Christmas time, lots of people are lonely and lost, and it's it it's you're looking for something, and that's what the little girl was, and that's what the mother was, and that's what the daughter was, and it was really sweet at the end when they ha- have a connection. So I liked it. I enjoy. I would watch it again because it was so like deliciously sort of offbeat and weird. Like I would watch it for that reason. It's like a cult classic, I think, for that reason. I think but, so too, but I I do think there was there was a heart to it that was that was nice. Even though it was a little bit crazy that that the woman wanted to kill her. It was it was nice that they connected and it was nice that the the father learned not to be an asshole. So I think I, it was kind of crazy and and I pardon my interruption. I think it's crazy that the little girl went running off into the woods to the old woman's house in the snow on Christmas Eve, fell asleep in the woods, got up kept going and in this and still beat her parents to the old lady's house who left around the same time to, to chase her so it took them so long to get to the old lady's house and the girl beat them despite the fact that she collapsed in the woods anyway that it makes you wonder like how how they explain those the, why the parents took so long to get well, there time obviously works strangely in the world of this film like you said with the the woman walking up the stairs but right. not That's only true. Not only that, she had a head start because she went out without putting her jacket on. And this is olden times when it takes a long time to put your, your overcoat on. Of course. I oh, feel so stupid. The 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 one thing in the film we didn't mention that uh, I thought of, if I would have brought my notes, I would have mentioned it, um, was they had a Jamaican butler who had the least Jamaican <laughs> accent I think I've ever heard in my life. I didn't even realize he was supposed to be Jamaican. I yeah. didn't pick up I, on that but I, I like that he was this hey like, there, little girl go, go to the house by yourself and then when he finds out it's the old lady's house oh my god what how could you go without me <laughs> you idiot girl for now when i have to be there I so he, he was had, indian nope he said jamaican he, he, he had to be there and watch for the enjoy the the telling of the tale of sleepy hollow <laughs> oh yeah, another thing we glossed over. What the hell was that over. all about? The tale of Sleepy Hollow was mixed into that mess. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, and no it was. And the director is from Tarrytown, which which is why he, I guess, he wanted that to be in the movie. <laughs> so it was just a bunch Not of shit thrown together. It was. Yeah. But if you, it's, it, 
and maybe this explains some more of why it was so weird is that it had two directors. One guy took too long to finish it. So uh, Robert Wise, I think, went in and finished it quickly, uh, which was apparently his over his career was his trademark. He could get things done quickly and cheaply. Well, that makes sense that there were two different directors, I guess. that I mean, that kind of shines a light on why it was so disjointed and stuff. And, I th- and there's scenes I know for – for specifically that there's a scene in the beginning of the movie where the kids were facing or chasing a black cat. Do you remember that when they're out? Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the producers wanted that to be put in for some reason. (laughs) It wasn't originally part of the script. And like to have a cat in the movie, maybe with a cat in the title. Oh, I guess. Yeah. And have a have a scene with the kids chasing it. And the cat never came back. It was just a bizarre, like I thought, Oh, that cat, that cat's going to be something. And that cat was never back. I thought the same thing was that that's going to be the witch's cat, but right. no. And then it really made sense to read later that the producers just wanted that in there. All right. Fuck but this I, movie. I like, I, I like the fact that it's such an odd movie and it had all these weird things going on and it was still kind of sweet. Well, it's public domain. So is it? Yeah. Yeah. People can watch it for free online. It's, it's free I on the internet archive. You can download oh, a copy. That's cool. I, I rented it from Netflix for no good reason. What an idiot. You probably get a better quality version than you can see online, though, because the one online is really choppy. Oh, okay. Well, I doubt they went all deluxe with the DVD issue either. <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> all right, let's move on to uh, let's get off this damn thing. Um, <laughs> move on to uh, Carol for another Christmas, Michael. Oh yes. So you guys weren't interested in the like like camp classic Christmases movies that I suggested. You didn't want to see like. You know, the Angela Lansbury Christmas movie or the Dolly Parton Christmas movie. Or... Well, I don't know that that's true. I think we just uh, didn't have, didn't think we were going to have the time to rent them all from Netflix and, and watch them. I see. Well. Yeah, and I think it was just like we were, we were uh, enjoying the control, so we just said, pick this one or else. Right. Well, and that worked. So I picked it, and um, it was... Uh, it's I've seen that Chris, Christmas Carol movie. I've seen every, like, iteration because I think that they're all done so terribly for the most part that there's something funny about every failure of that story. I think that you've got like the really good ones. Like I think that the musical Scrooge is amazing. I think it's really good. And the old Reginald Owen version of Christmas Carol is kind of weird and interesting. And then you get like the really bad ones like Susan Lucci or the Vanessa (laughs) Williams version where they're, they're like either diva Scrooge or, you know, um, there's one with Cicely Tyson where she plays like Ebony Scrooge. <laughs> oh, the weirds. Right. <laughs> and it's just the worst. Um, like it's this story that gets so like adapted and readapted to and for the worst reasons and in the worst ways. So where I does the, was, the Muppet one fall in your pantheon? You know, I've watched that thinking that I would love that because I really loved the Muppets like hard when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I did not find it that interesting. Yeah, it's when they it's when they started to go the wrong way with the Muppet movies, where the the instead of playing themselves, they were playing characters. Yeah, it's kind of like tiresome to get through it, and yeah. as long as the Albert Finney version of Scrooge is, it it feels like it's hours long. Um, <laughs> It's so entertaining, considering it was made in 1970 or something. And the music is so catchy and good and sticks with you. And um, I vote for that version being like the best version ever. But this version, I just found out about um, last year. 
Um, it's called Carol for Another Christmas. It's written by Rod Serling from the Twilight Zone, which is not something I know a whole lot about, honestly. And what's interesting is it's directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, who um, directed All About Eve, um, and he directed like Letter to Three Wives, um, and some of the like the classic Porky's, uh, yeah, Porky's, Porky's Two, um, Porky's Four. You know, he did all those wonderful classics, and um, he in 1964 the United Nations commissioned this version of Christmas Carol. Rod Serling wrote it, Mankiewicz produced it his first TV movie. And it is strange to say the least in that it's, it's very modern in that they, they dispense with all of the, you know, um, the, the Victorian, um, updates on things. It's just about a rich dude and he's kind of a dick and he's an isolationist and he represents like the American business guy. And, um, his name is Daniel Grudge, which, is no, is no play on Ebenezer Scrooge, which I love. Like it's a play on another um, right grudge. Um, yeah, I mean grudge is a great like name in general, but it's a play on another Charles Dickens character from another book. But um, it's it doesn't it, they don't try to make him like you know um, Ebony Scrooge or you know they don't try to make that name make any sense, which right. I think was great. Um, and he's played by Sterling Hayden, who is in like great old movies with like the star with Betty Davis, which is one of my favorites. Um, or um, I think he played a lot of Cowboys at some point. And he's in some movies that like straight guys like that. I, I can't imagine. Yeah, no, I know Sterling Hayden. Yeah. Yeah. But so he's um, the, the movie is so like deadly serious and without any like whimsy whatsoever that I can, what lo- what I love about it is I love thinking about being, a kid in 1964, which I was not, I was certainly not even born, but could you imagine being a kid on Christmas Eve watching TV and your parents are like, Oh, here comes a Christmas Carol. And then this (laughs) shit comes on. And this is the most terrifying version of a Christmas Carol. I think you could show a child because it's, it's a very like heavy, like anti-war peace for the world. Like, um, America should get involved and help stop war and help, you know, it's very humanitarian for sure. And it's very political in the most ham-fisted way in some places. Oh yeah. The very, <laughs> there's, well, it's not, it doesn't put the B in subtle. That's for sure. The, it does not. <laughs> I, I just think, uh, can you imagine that? Any channel trying to put that on TV now. Nope, Sorry. I was going to say. I, I, any channel. They, these, they couldn't even go on, on the the uh, 4 in the morning on PBS. It wouldn't <laughs> even it wouldn't even fly. No, nope, <laughs> I, I like to think like these Fox News people who complain about like the liberal media. I would love, love to see them watch this <laughs> on TV and their collective head just explode. Oh, yeah. Like this is the most like liberal – um, I mean, and, and I'm certainly a very liberal person, but like, this is the most hit you over the head, liberal politics built into the Christmas Carol framework that you could possibly imagine. Um, he's, he's basically represents big business who says, stay out of the world's affairs. Like, let's just take care of ourselves and no one else. And let's block others from, you know, doing any, any work in the, um, in that realm. And then he's basically 
his son is named Marley, which is one of the only references to the original, yeah. the original Christmas Carol, and who's interestingly played by Henry Fonda, who is not in the movie. Yeah, so the stuff was cut. Yeah, they show a, they show a ghost sitting in um, his dining room, but he never engages that ghost. And Henry Fonda only appears, even though he was like billed apparently, according to Wikipedia, he was billed on the poster as being in the in the production. Um, he only appears in a painting of himself that like the Daniel Grudge looks at a painting of his dead son and who was um, killed in war. You should mention who was killed in the yeah. war. Exactly. And um, he is never actually in the movie, but he gets billing for it, which is very weird. But then it goes right into the whole ghost of Christmas past thing with no lead up. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it's just suddenly he is on a ship and it's a very foggy affair, and there's a guy who is um, pr- not bad actors. They're not; none of them are oh, bad it's actors. Oh, all star cast. It's really well acted, yeah. Really well acted, but like it's just very suddenly. It's very like '60s severity. You go right from the dining room to this tanker where he is talking to the ghost of Christmas past, who pretty much makes it um, apparent right away. That that's what he is, and there's no Christmassiness to it. There's no like mankind um, is our business kind of like Dickensian um, morality to it whatsoever. It's very just about we need the United Nations, and here's why. And there's um, they go through the whole um, Ghost of Christmas Past, and they they end up in Hiroshima with some <laughs> kids with their faces melted off yeah, from the <laughs> horrific yeah. I'm thinking oh my god I, if I were a kid watching this I would I saw like the day after when I was a kid oh me too yeah and that was terrifying that was and it terrifying. wasn't nearly as nearly as graphic as this they have no faces they have no faces their eyes are covered by bandages and <laughs> there's they're they're gonna die and the ghost of Christmas past is is like well children they're not gonna have children and it's <laughs> just so severe and then and I should Mention that the Ghost of Christmas Past is, pl- I think it was the Ghost of Christmas Past, was played by Steve Lawrence, which yes. is kind of funny because he's not usually known for drama. No, nope, but he, that is? he did a Stephen Eady. That's Stephen Eady? Yep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. He did a really good job because he, he kind of played like a tough, gruff guy who was basically stood in for all the dead from all the wars. Exactly, but, and he's he's so like he's so like he talks in that New York accent. And yeah, it's very, it's very sixties. He's from the Bowery. He's got that thing. Yeah, uh, it's well, awesome. And then they they go to the the middle part with the ghost of Christmas present. I think. Yep. I just watched this again today, and I kind of feel like that part disappears very quickly because it's about a man sitting at a table gorging himself while like political prisoners yeah. starve around him. And um, it's it's similar in a way because that what that's what happens in Christmas Carol as well, but it's sort of like that's the ghost that maybe starts to change um, Scrooge's mind in most versions, and I don't really ever get the sense that there's a big change coming or that there's a big change happening in this movie. It just kind of gets it kind of gets worse and worse, and when he gets to the future. Um, the worst corniest line in the movie is where they're looking at the future and 
Grudge asks, um, what about the United Nations? Um, where's the United <laughs> Nations in this day? And the ghost is like, United Nations? I'm not sure if I know what that is. Oh, the United Nations. That's no longer around. You know, and it's so obviously a phony, like corny written in reference to the, um, to the United Nations the sponsoring. <laughs> and just so corny. And like the whole thing is the most subtle ending in that once again, like there's no like good morning, wake up. It's like yeah. I'm I'm clutching the bed robes, begging to stay alive or whatever. It's it's like he's just awake, <laughs> and he he talks to um, his nephew, and um, you can it's a subtle shift in his mentality. Wait, was his nephew Ben Gazzara? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I yeah. thought so too. Yeah. And then he goes into the kitchen, and he has his big change is that. Essentially, he has his breakfast with his servants, who are black. Right. And no, I, I really appreciated that. That he he wasn't jumping for joy and running down the street giving presents to orphans. It was no. you. Didn't that, get... But that change was brought on by the future where he sees them killed. Right. Right. The, the post-apocalyptic future. We we should, if with, if it even needs to be said about something Peter Rod Serling wrote. Yeah. With Peter Sellers as a crazy uh, despot. Exactly. He's like a, he's a he's all this me kind of character that it, it, he's leading a cult of um, a personality more or less. And the um, uh, Grudge's Butler is one of the characters in the future, and he gets um, you know killed by the crowd because he doesn't want to follow the um, the Peter Sellers character as a as a leader or what have you. Right. He thinks he thinks everybody should help each other out. Where where the Peter Sellers guy is, it's all about me. Yeah. Right. It's very subtle. <laughs> and um, then at the, at the end, when they just they just sit down and they have breakfast and the credits roll, and like so he's he, it's like is this like a coded race message? Is it just unity in general? Like it's sort of like everything at once, but really well acted. I think it's well directed. I think and, for all its lack of subtlety, there it's still very well written i think the dialogue was really good mm-hmm. um it it stands up today you could you could theoretically show it today and it, i mean one thing i learned from it was that uh since at least 1963 conservatives have been spouting the same bullshit yeah <laughs> and liberals as well i guess sure. i should say sure i i'm 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 not surprised it hasn't been shown on a regular basis on tv but i am surprised it never got any kind of dvd release yeah, and I think that TCM, I think sometimes they pull things like this out of the, the Pelly Center, which is where a lot of these old things that have never been seen again end up. Um, I think they pull them out and put them on TCM with the intention of bringing them back. Mm-hmm. Like that, We talked about that movie, at least in an email, called Remember the Night, which is a Stanwyck, and Barbara Stanwyck and um, Fred McMurray movie that they made that has basically disappeared. And TCM brought it back. And has really had it released on DVD and is trying to reintroduce it as one of these forgotten Christmas classics. And I think they're trying to do the same thing with this movie, even though it does not make you feel good. And it is horrible in, in the, you leave with this sort of sick feeling of dread. And especially knowing that that was 1964 and it's not like things have gotten better. Nope. <laughs> and and the end, well, I, I do want to talk about the end a little more, because like I said, I think that was, like, the most subtle part of the whole movie. Like you said, he, he gets up, he decides to have Christmas with the servants. He's had somewhat of a change of heart, but 
it's not you don't know how drastic it is it, it might just be for that moment right i mean his coffee might be cold and he might get up and storm out and go right back to the way he was before you don't know right you don't get the sense that he's all of a sudden uh went over to the liberal cause and and uh his heart's grown three sizes right <laughs> i think you're confusing christmas classics right <laughs> But it's really interesting that they use this like somewhat like um, corny, somewhat like childish concept that, you know, this guy was changed in over one night by three ghosts from like A to Z, you know, like a huge jump in character. I mean, that's kind of a, a silly fantasy story anyway. People don't change that way. Right. But like they they take that story, which is so beloved and has been done so many times in so many ways. And they totally, in 1964, strip out all the good stuff, <laughs> strip out all the good feelings, and just leave you with the bottom message that, you know, this this night of, like, reflection with these ghosts made a subtle change in someone that is so realistic in some ways. It's totally realistic to think that he would have had this eye-opening experience, and he doesn't run out and buy a turkey for all the poor, wretched children of, right. the, of London. He just sits down with... Um, people that are less fortunate than him, his employees, and he he thinks about it. Or you, you're left with just wondering where it's going, um, and maybe that's all they were ever intending to do. But it's it's really like I'm I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. I don't know if I want to watch it every Christmas, but it is an interesting like real subversion. That if I was watching this in 1964 as a kid in pajamas in front of the TV, I would have probably just shit your pants right yeah like it's <laughs> terrifying it's a terrifying movie in that way if you're a kid it is, i would I, be calling my congressman to support the un right right they do listen to children <laughs> the uh yeah i mean you said it's anti-war i would say it's virulently anti-war oh yes it's it's maybe the most anti-war piece of art i've ever seen Anti-war, anti-nuclear uh, weapons. Anti, yeah, anti-isolationism. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a line in there that's like, if if we could do this, like we're Britt Eklund, who is just a character he's talking to in the Hiroshima sec- segment of the past, and she she's talking to Grudge, and she says, um, if we could do this to the world, or if we could do this to Hiroshima, and think of what we could destroy the world in a few afternoons. Right. Yeah, because we did this to the city in a matter of minutes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like destroy any good Christmas goodwill that you've just cre- like. No wonder it hasn't been seen. Like, <laughs> no wonder nobody wants to see this thing. I mean, it's interesting, but it's it's they've almost done themselves damage by basing it on a Christmas movie or a Christmas story. Because who wants to hear that? But it's so it's so it's so charming to watch in a way because the message is so straightforward, and it's not like full of. It's not full of the bullshit that we have added into things now. It's like, bottom line, the message is sort of like, think about like what humanitarianism means now, and think what like humankind means, you know, in the face of the nuclear age or what have you. And it's not about like, oh, I'll be kind to those street urchins down the Y and send them a turkey, you know, whatever. It's that was it's, a good German accent, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Australian, you know. <laughs> London is in Australia. <laughs> Georgie pulled you put in pie. <laughs> yeah, no, I I was glad I saw it. 
Um, yeah, me too. I enjoyed it. Like um, you, I don't. I don't know that it's a great know. Christmas tradition no. to watch every know. year. And I don't know if I could say I enjoyed it, but I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think you could say you should be glad you watched. It hasn't been seen by a lot of people since the '60s, and um, I think you guys found it on what YouTube? Yeah, yeah. someone had uh, gotten a copy off of BitTorrent and put it up on YouTube. And it's interesting. Apparently, the version that's that uh, that was on TCM doesn't include the original Henry Mancini music. Oh, really? And, and it's uh, I guess they couldn't get the rights. And I'm wondering if Henry Mancini saw the movie and said, "I wish I hadn't written music for this," and just said, "Never play my music on that again." <laughs> I didn't even notice that. I did read that he did the score for it, but I don't remember any music. Just the, I think the it's just in the opening scene on the opening title, and after that, I don't even remember the music the rest of the movie. So what did they use on the TCM version? Like Yakety Sax? That would be good. I don't know that there was any music on the TCM version. I remember it being incredibly silent. That's even more grim. Yeah, it was really grim from the minute it started. I'll have to rewatch and see if there was any music at the beginning, but I don't think there was. And then I can send you a YouTube link, You can, or you just search for it, you can compare the two. Yeah, I'll do that. That'll be interesting. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was worth. It's worth watching for sure. Uh, it, for as long as it's up on YouTube, I'd say what it's only what an hour twenty minutes or something. If that, I feel like it's like not even an hour. It might be an hour and ten minutes. It's yeah, so short. Um, but it's I wonder worth, if they had when when it originally aired. I wonder if there was like a half hour show beforehand or afterwards, just talking about the UN. Right, like what aired before? Was it like I Love Lucy and then this? Or was it like, you know, like what show did they show before this and what time did it air? The and Flintstones? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't, yeah, who knows? And like who sat through this in the 60s, like thinking, like, oh, I went, like there were no commercials, so it aired um, straight through the entire run, the entire running time. And who watched this and thought, I mean, I'm sure people watched it. I'm sure there's smart people who were interested in it back then. But well, and it, the Twilight Zone was a going concern at that point, so I'm sure there were people who were fans of that who were like, oh, Rod Serling. I'll... Sure. And, and they, they, read, were... they read Henry Fonda and said, oh, I love Henry Fonda, and we're right. disappointed by that, too. <laughs> oh, there's a picture of Henry Fonda. I see. <laughs> I'm satisfied. That's all I really need. Right. My goal in life is to be famous enough that uh, – there's a painting of me in a movie and I get billing on that. <laughs> well, I'll get out my paintbrushes and you can just start sending paintings of yourself into movie studios. Oh, thanks. I mean, I've got a few already, but they're all based on those bathroom photos I was taking. Oh, well, I, maybe we should discuss that off air. I wasn't aware <laughs> you were taking those photos. You know how I put that camera in the first floor bathrooms? <laughs> I assume somebody was. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, I mean, it's worth watching for sure. It's not a feel good movie. No, it is not. Uh, unless uh, unless uh, depressing things make you feel good. Yeah, in which sure. case, uh, maybe you, clinically depressed. In that case, yeah. How about that? That's a callback. <laughs> that is a callback. <laughs> yeah, you might uh might think about making friends with a butterfly or something if that's your. Right. Nothing could be worse than watching that awful Bill Murray Scrooged movie compared to. I've been watching. This oh, we're gonna get times. into the Bill Murray now, huh? <laughs> hey, what movie were you saying was good? The, Scrooge. The, oh, okay. Scrooge. Albert Finney. Oh, Scrooge. Right, Scrooge, the 1970 musicals with Albert oh, Finney and. Okay, I thought. Amy I thought. Evans. 
I've not seen any any many versions of of Christmas Carol, and I assumed when you said I thought the Bill Murray movie was a musical, and I thought you were saying that was good, but that's well, not a musical. Scrooged. I would say actually I would say that Scrooged is good. Um, I just you know I'm just not. I think that Bill Murray to close the loop on the conversation you all had without me last episode, Bill Murray is a straight guy's thing. Like I just think he doesn't really appeal to gay people in the same way that Wes Anderson. It's kind of like, oh, aren't you precious? Like, that's great. I like his movies, but like, I'm not going to be like the Wes Anderson fan that like I think some people would be who are of a different persuasion. Oh, I could, I hate Wes Anderson. He so. doesn't speak to me. And Bill Murray is, I think he, I I think he's an interesting person in his real life. I've read about like his his um his family history, etc. Um, and I think he was great in Ghostbusters, and I think he was great in um, Razor's Edge, and I think he was great in a lot of things. But like, I don't go to see a movie because it's Bill Murray. He's kind of like vanilla ice cream. You know, it's still good, but he's not like anything that I'm gonna like look forward to. You know what I mean? So I don't hate him. To to clarify that, um, although I may have said I hate him um, at some point. Like how I really feel is I just think he's kind of whatever. I I can't disagree with that. I mean, I if, if you're not saying you hate him, then I'm fine. Yeah, but I, I Scrooged is not as good as Scrooge, just so we're clear. Okay. So, so let me ask you this question then: hmm? What who whose name on a movie would make you go see it? Um, how about Colin Farrell? Hey, that leads us right into. In Bruges. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> I set it up for you. <laughs> what can I say? I teed it right into the hole. Did. That's a basketball term. The uh, In Bruges, yeah. Very, very, very vaguely uh, Christmas themed. And speaking about uh, not a feel-good movie. <laughs> Although, was this billed as a comedy? Do you know? I feel like I've read – I was reading about In Bruges because I was trying to look, figure out the dwarf stuff, and it is billed as a comedy. Yeah, that's what I thought. And, I mean, there are would, a lot of laughs in it. I would so, assume it was billed like uh, that the one he just did with the – what was it called? The 12 Heads in a Bag or what, – What, Seven Psychopaths? Yeah. Which was by the same guy who did In Bruges. Right. So like a black comedy for sure. Yeah, well, about as black as you can get. Um, I prefer dark comedy, so I don't. We don't offend any listeners. Yeah, I I know that. Uh, I know that people do love being called dark, <laughs> as opposed to black. So good point to you, Pat. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it, it's a uh, extremely black comedy. If if it is a comedy, I I wouldn't really know how to. Uh, how to say what it is because i mean i i, I think of it uh, there's no doubt it's a dark a black comedy it's really funny there's I mean, there's parts are really funny in it but it's also dark yeah if you uh if you like seeing children shot in the head <laughs> um this is the comedy for you and i loved it i had thought sorry i'm like looking up on I'm looking up. If only, yeah. If only there were more pictures of that on Facebook. Uh, people posting their pictures of their children being shot in the head. And I... <laughs> or like, like, just give me like a great picture, like a witch 
carrying the children off to be thrown into a furnace or something like that. Give us something. How about another callback? Um, I had no. thought uh, that um, it was uh, the Dink in this, Peter Dinklage. I don't yeah. know why I thought that was him, but I'm looking at IMDb Probably and it not. was, it was not, not him. him. It didn't look like him. No, it didn't. And that's why when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, that really doesn't look like him. Oh, oh I see what you're oh saying. My God. You just thought any little person in a movie is the same guy because there must only be one that has a movie career. I prefer to call them dark people. It, oh, it, it turns out that they they do a couple movies and then they kill themselves and then another guy takes over. So <laughs> watch out, Mr. Dinklage. That actually sounds like a joke from the movie because <laughs> they talked about that a lot. About yeah, how how uh, little people kill themselves in an inordinate amount. Well, so it's about a hitman, Colin Farrell, um, who goes on an assignment to kill a priest. Um, so laugh riot so far, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, kills the priest and accidentally shoots the altar boy behind him uh, while he's killing the priest. So uh, he's taken to Bruges, which is in Belgium, uh, uh, to lay low for a while with, with another hitman um, by orders of his boss. And then the boss tells the other hitman to uh, kill Colin Farrell while he's there. That's that's the basic plot. And then there's they're filming a movie there with a dwarf who he's fascinated by. And uh, Colin Farrell's kind of a simple-minded guy in this. Mm-hmm. And well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I love the movie. I, it's, it's just hard to describe. I think you did a good job. Yeah, I don't think it's about anything else. Like, I, I mean, it's about more than that. Clearly, it's about like you know, um, uh, forgiveness slash redemption, redemption yeah. slash second chances, etc. Um, and it's such a black comedy, and there's so many. Like uh, callbacks to the jokes about like little people and getting killed and like there's some I was reading on um, uh, Wikipedia that they were making homage to Don't Look Now, which is a movie about I've never seen it about a dwarf that is a killer or something like that. Oh shit! Yeah, I'm not even aware of it. There's all these references and they're making all the dwarf. There's a lot of dwarf references to this other movie which i i've heard about for years and i've just never seen it so i i don't know what they are and i certainly didn't pick up on them but there's so many references to the dwarf and i call him the dwarf because they did um i would say little person of course um but the the connection between the kid and you know the little people and like the you know the big dumb killers that Colin Farrell represents um, are kind of like fascinating. It's it's a great movie. It's so beautiful. It really it is it is a beautiful movie. I, I agree. And and uh, Colin Farrell is the more uh, uncouth of the uh, of the hitmen. The other guy, shoot, what's the actor's name? He's really well. Everybody does a really good job. I had thought um, I had thought that Colin Farrell was just kind of a pretty boy, you know, empty headed party dude um but he does a amazing job in this movie i think yeah yeah he's 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 very funny and you you can feel his angst about what he's going through it's very good and brendan gleason is is the other guy who's also great yeah and i think colin farrell gets a bad rap because he was like pegged as like an it boy so to speak right 
um, or a hot actor at some point in his career, and like he really isn't that. No, he can actually act. Yeah, he can act, and he does like little movies that you would not think to even look for him in, like this one. I feel like this one just came out. When this came out, I remember it was like maybe out for a week or two. It was one of those things that quickly disappeared, but like I feel like everybody has seen it on DVD, on DVD or yeah. something like that. And um, it's such a fantastically like fun, uh, well, fun. I mean, it's fun, even though there's a lot of death in it. Yeah, it's very um, fun. And, and it's a- romantic, and it's it's just so like you're not left feeling completely like a scumbag for watching all this murder. Um, I really liked this. Yeah, the, well, there's a lot of death and a lot of graphic violence, and uh, I didn't even mention his his love interest, who he meets, who's a drug dealer who robs tourists with her boyfriend. <laughs> so. It's not uh, it's it's not a feel good comedy, and uh, there's not a happy ending to it. Yeah, it's like a caper comedy, I guess. Cause it kind of is, yeah. They definitely put when you watch it knowing what's coming, and you watch it a couple of times, you definitely see like oh, you know that the dwarf is there for a reason and for the story, right? Aside from any other homages, and um the whole fact that it takes place in bruges sort of makes this story more romantic um even though it's not particularly a romantic story considering what happens i but, like the fact that the 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 ray fines character sent them to bruges because he thought it would be something he could enjoy before he had to die and right. colin Farrell fucking hates he can't stand it <laughs> It's like, why don't you send me to Jamaica or whatever, Bahamas? <laughs> it's funny because I saw it the first time not not terribly long after we'd gone on vacation to Bruges. So it was kind of cool. Uh, oh, excuse me. Just, I didn't know you yeah. didn't Bruges. <laughs> nice humble brag. It was good. <laughs> Is that really bragging? Shortly after we returned from Bruges. <laughs> I was talking about seeing the movie. <laughs> that was a humble brag. You're right. I read the script. The uh, did you read for the part of the dwarf? The, no, I mean, I just read the script. The uh, like I said, I read the script. What are you saying? I think he read the script. Huh? Yeah, I read the script. Ah, uh, yeah. It's it's a really it's just a great movie. The dialogue it, it's really well written. Mm-hmm. Well acted. Uh, Cinematography is great. Bruges is a nice backdrop that you don't see in a lot of, uh, well, in any other movie as far in as I any know. any other, yeah. The actor who played the dwarf was very funny. Yeah, he was. He he got all coked up and started talking about the coming race war. Yeah, he, yeah was... <laughs> he had a whole theory on how that was going to play out. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bunch of terrible people doing terrible things uh, and getting their just desserts, really. There really is no person who's not terrible. The closest would be the drug dealer who robs tourists. Yeah, she's she's the best. Well, maybe the hotel owner, the woman, the pregnant woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's not a terrible she's, person. She's, she's, a, the, she's the one, yeah. Well, the, uh, guy, um, the, the, the older guy, uh, Ken, I think his name is, right? The... Um... It's Colin Farrell plays Ray. Is that correct? Yes, Ray. And then the other guy play is Ken, who is the older guy that he's there with, the Brendan more Gleeson, experienced yeah. killer, Brendan Gleeson. 
and then he's sort of more the hero of this movie than um, Colin Farrell is because he's there and he's the one who appreciates the city and he's the one who like respects the honor of what um, Rafe finds his character has to do. And, yeah, and he's the one who really offers Colin Farrell the redemption he's seeking in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, and he dies spoil, for it. To spoil the movie a little, well, yeah. But uh, one of the funniest scenes is when he goes, he's on his way to kill Colin Farrell, and then he stops him from committing suicide. Yeah, he sees Colin Farrell's about to commit suicide, and he's like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and he has a gun in the hand to shoot him at the same time. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Ray Fiennes, too, was awesome, I thought, in it. Yeah, and it's just a, a kind of a... Like, they're all terrible people, but they're also good people, too. Like, they have both sides to them. Like, Ray finds this, he's a terrible person. He wants to kill the guy, but he's also a good a good parent, and he, he has his own code of honor. He says, if I killed a kid, I'd shoot myself right away. And and he lives up to his code of honor. Yeah. <laughs> and I love Carol. No, he's not a kid. He's not a kid. <laughs> I mean, he might be a great father. He's not maybe the greatest husband when he has... He's like slamming the phone down, and his wife is like, "Jesus, it's an inanimate object." And he says, "You're a fucking inanimate object." <laughs> but then, then later, he, he does. I'm sorry for calling you an inanimate object. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, the first time I saw this, I didn't know what to expect because I saw it on DVD too, um, the first time, and and I was, I was amazed, and and the, uh, the dialogue. I mean. It's not. I don't. I don't really like the term politically correct, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not. Like he, Colin Farrell talks the way an asshole would talk, and he doesn't pull punches. the The writer's not afraid to uh, say shit that is going to make people wince. Yeah, it, it rang very like true. Like without being like crazy, over the top, unbelievable bullshit. It was just like this sort of quiet story about murderers who um you know kill each other and jump out of bell towers or what have you um and it all felt like believable there was never a moment where it felt like oh this could never happen this would never ever in a million years happen i mean he gets he gets shot at the end. I and mean, colin farrell you end the movie and you don't know if he's gonna live or die nope but he does say he hopes he doesn't die in bruges <laughs> i think that's the last line of the movie i think he lived I don't know how he would, but yeah, they they do leave it open. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what else to say. I highly recommend this one. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Wait, Pat. Yes. Am I correct in assuming you you read the script? I did uh, read the script. Oh, and what did you think? As good as the movie. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. This is turning into a Robin Hitchcock episode, Pat, where we just <laughs> were at a loss as to what to say, so we got progressively stupider. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting about all three movies, if, if I may say, is that they all end in sort of uncertain ways. Um, and like we totally just picked three things that took place at Christmas – or that were Christmas themed without being like obvious Christmas movies or without being like standard Christmas movies. Like in Bruges takes place over Christmas and it's very like, uh, it's like romantic. Like you get the, 
that warm winter, like uh, with sparkly, twinkly lights kind of feeling. And um, it ends in an uncertain way. You don't know what's going to happen to the main character, but he's, um, you know, been damaged at some point um, by the story and changed. And it's the same thing with um, Carol for Another Christmas. You don't know where that's gonna, really going to go. It leaves you with an uncertain answer to a very troubling um, quandary. And then the first movie, the Cat People movie, you're so confused by what's happened <laughs> that and why all these, why the legend of Sleepy Hollow comes into the whole story, um, and where the cats are, and what happened to the cat in the first scene, and like who the old lady was, and um, why the ghost, why did the ghost randomly appear? You know, like all those questions. And then, you know, it's just wrapped up neatly. So did that girl never hallucinate again? That's what I'm saying. I, I didn't see any sign that she stopped hallucinating. I don't right. think she was hallucinating. I think the spirit was really there. Her, it was her imaginary special friend. But if her friend told her that she had to go away and could not come back and then came back. Well, she came then, back when she was about to get killed to save her. But she told her. She, it's like you've seen Superman, too. Have you not? Remember how like they they're like you can get rid of your powers but you can never get them back, and then he loses his powers so that he can you know sleep with Lois Lane, and then somehow he gets from a diner, um to where he gets beaten up, back into the Arctic, and he gets his powers back in a way that he does they don't explain, and it's like oh I guess there was no consequence to that action. And it's the same thing. But there thing. was, because they had that kid from Superman Returns that everyone hates. <laughs> well, there was, yeah, there was also the consequence of Superman 3 with Richard Pryor. Oh, God. That, that, was, that was a gift. Because <laughs> that gave us office space. What? <laughs> Superman 3 gave us office space. You're going to have to draw the line for me, because I'm... Yeah. Did you not see office space? I did. I didn't particularly care for it. The crime they committed oh. was was ripped from Superman. Was the same crime Richard right. Pryor did in Superman three, and they mentioned it in Office Space. Oh, that's exactly right. I remember that now. That's amazing. All right, so I like Office Space. I'm surprised you don't particularly care for it. Eh, eh. I like it too. I, I I think that if you worked in that situation, where you worked in a cubicle and the office, you had that Office Space bullshit. Like, I think you totally get it. If you've never worked in that situation, it might not be something you... But I think if you work in, as a, at a at a chain restaurant, you get that, too. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, I've never worked at a chain restaurant, but I have worked in a cubicle, and it's, yeah, it just didn't work for me. I thought it started out strong and and kind of went to shit. But maybe we can do that for a future episode. I guess John has a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> uh, well, all right. I don't want to. I don't want to trash talk Office Space on a Christmas episode. It's not really in the spirit of uh, the Christ, our Lord, uh, dying on the cross and uh, coming I, I, back as Muhammad. So, I do, I do agree with Michael that it's funny how the movies we picked were not maybe not similar, but they had similar themes, and it's kind of fun that all these Christmas. Dark Christmas movies. I think dark Christmas movies are as enjoyable as the the saccharine kind of crappy Christmas movies. Well, oh I guess yeah, that, everybody knows that because everybody likes it's just a wonderful life, which is terribly dark and filled with uncertainty. Yes, yeah, all of these movies are all about uncertainty, and the typical Christmas movie is so like reaffirming and certain and tells you 
that everything will be fine. And these are not those movies. And they barely. Is there, is there a typical Christmas movie like that that people really like? Like, is there is there one? I, well, I guess say... Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. But even that has the uncertainty of is he a crazy guy or what? But that's I guess. Let's see. Well, 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 let's think about it. Like, if you guys were to think of the Christmas movie that you see, like every year that you like watching what would that be probably a christmas story for me that's what i thought you'd say pat same movie or something else it's I a think... wonderful life i don't really watch them anymore but when i lived in california i watch it's a wonderful life every year and miracle on 34th street elf elf, elf? Ugh, love elf. funny yeah elf reminds me of pat how so i don't know at one point he says something like <laughs> i don't know I like smiles. Smiles are good or something. That just yeah. reminds me of something Pat would say. I like to whisper too. <laughs> <laughs> I love Elf and I love quoting Elf. And I love that I love that line that's um, like, uh, he's talking about the four food groups and he's like, Elves have four food groups. It's uh, candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of Pat as well. <laughs> <laughs> but those those things are like it's a wonderful life may play with uncertainty and a christmas story does not play with uncertainty at all nope and um well most, he's not sure he's gonna get the gun but oh but it's, it's, it's uncertain does he does he actually uh shoot his eye out we don't know <laughs> oh yes we do <laughs> christmas story is a great is a, is a great movie because it is, doesn't have that happy it's happy in weird ways i do like christmas story a lot too yeah, it's a good movie. I feel like I wish, like, I, I, I'm a victim of, like, there were years where I would just on Christmas Day, like, we don't do anything or go anywhere. We would just, like, stay in bed <laughs> and watch TV or whatever. And, like, I've watched it so many times over and over again on those <laughs> marathons that I'm like, okay, I can't take it anymore. I need a few years away from a Christmas story. Wait, but, what? what is your favorite Christmas movie? Elf? Well, um... I have so many. I love so many Christmas movies, but I love Elf. I love um, uh, this. I love the Sc- Scrooge. I see that every year for sure. Um, the 1971 Albert Finney version, once again. And um, I love this movie that came out in the 90s. I think it was an Angela Lansbury TV movie called Mrs. Santa Claus, and it's done by. Um, Bob Mackie did all the costumes. Um, it's got a whole bunch of like Broadway people who are no longer stars, and then Linda Lavin. Have, um, no, but the, Judd Hirsch. No, Joel Grey. <laughs> um, so there's not many stars in it, um, and <laughs> like <Dave> Kaplan. <laughs> yes, he's he's playing a Kanish vendor. Um, <laughs> But the, the cast the, of murder she wrote. Sorry, <laughs> but it's a great, great movie. It's really simple. It's kind of corny. It's about like the early 1900s in New York City, and Mrs. Claus goes out on her own, and blah blah blah. But it's actually really good, and the music is really good. And um, uh, Charles Durning plays Santa Claus, and um, like Michael Jeter, who I think is dead now, is an elf, and. It's really interesting. There's 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 some really corny stuff in it, but the Bob Mackie Mrs. Santa Claus regalia is amazing. Like he <laughs> he makes her look amazing. 
Um, and she's wonderful, um, despite the fact that she's like a hundred years old in that movie. Um, and I also love, like, again, there's a lot of like old, I don't have just one favorite is what I guess I'm trying to say, but I love the old movies. Like I love white Christmas and I love remember the night and I love, um, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, which is amazing. If you haven't ever seen that, yeah, that is great old cartoon, um, kind of doesn't make sense totally fucks up the whole story but it's kind of amazing to watch it's no i've seen it yeah it's no hong kong fooey christmas carol but no. <laughs> that i've never i've never seen that one it doesn't exist except maybe in my head wasn't there a, a disney uh, mickey mouse christmas carol version? God, yes yeah. that was bad yeah Dreadful. okay <laughs> all you have to say is disney and you have your answer <laughs> but the, I think the best worst Christmas movie that I've ever seen, aside from Ebony Scrooge or um, the Vanessa Williams diva Christmas Carol or the Susan Lucci Christmas Carol, which is terrible as well. Which Vanessa is, Williams was that? Vanessa Williams did something called a diva's Christmas Carol. The one that yeah, the Vanessa Williams, that's the singer slash porn model. Ugly Betty. Oh, okay. yeah, ugly Betty Vanessa Williams. Yeah. Okay. It's so corny. It's it's totally pre Ugly Betty with her playing that kind of character that she played in Ugly Betty, but it's not as convincing and it's it's so ridiculous and she does these original songs at the end that you just cringe when she starts singing because they're so bad. But the, I have an Ugly Betty question. Yes. Does the that sh- I've never watched Ugly Betty. Is the show Super Fun Night just like Ugly Betty? No, they're nothing no. at all like. Okay. Well, I, I mean, they were similar because it seemed like the Vanessa Williams character is like the character in that show. So, and she's going after some good-looking guy, and I, I just thought they were similar. But I, I guess, never saw Uncle Ugly Betty, so I didn't know. I mean, I, I guess, guess not. I'm wrong. Somewhat, but yeah, no, not really. Yeah, okay, I think it's more like Devil Wears Prada, and I feel like Super Fun Night, if that's even still on, is I don't even know what that's about. I've watched it once, and I have no idea what the story there is. I would but, say. My description of it would be it's a goodwill hunting for the 90s. If I were writing the blurb. That's that's really watchable. I'd really want to see that. I'm just fucking around. It makes no sense. No, Because goodwill hunting came out in 77. Exactly. Anyway, I derailed your point. I'm sorry. Please. What were we talking about? The, the ultimate Christmas movie that everyone should watch, and I, I've joked about this with you two before, is... Um, the smoke a smoky mountain christmas oh dolly parton dolly parton okay just listen to this list of stars dolly parton john ritter um right, uh, lee majors um please say charles durning's in this one too. <laughs> as santa claus or mrs the, claus renee aubergeois oh yeah benson yeah benson's There's, foil <laughs> everything about this horrible tv movie is it's made in the 80s like it's got dolly in like an 80s like trying to be like a country singer that they're trying to make into an 80s kind of singer and, and i'm sold dude I'll, oh, i will totally watch it so good it's it's so unwatchably bad that it's good <laughs> And it's got like this multicultural cast of orphans that she adopts, and then they the mountain witch who poisons her with an apple pie, and <laughs> <laughs> it's so amazing. Like, Not one it, of those mountain witches. It doesn't make any sense. Like it starts off like like so believable, and then it gets worse and worse, and it's filled with commercial breaks. Because I've only got like a version I taped off the TV a couple of years ago. Is it on DVD? 
I don't Hold on, I'm know. checking it out. Smoky Mountain Christmas. You should. It's. You should. You should check it out. Smoky Mountain Christmas. Yeah, it I'm is. Gonna, I'm gonna look it up right now while you keep talking. So so bad. And Lee Majors. I mean, it's. Oh, it's Lee Majors. Every B-list or C-list celebrity at the time um, is in it. And John Ritter shows up. Everybody in this movie is like this country hick who talks with a thick accent. And then John Ritter plays a judge at the end, and he's completely just John Ritter, like right in from L.A. Like, didn't try to sound like he was from the South. Didn't try to, like, even change anything about the way he is. He's just like, you know, right off Three's company, John Ritter, is the judge that awards custody to this, you know, bizarre woman. <laughs> to these, you know, of these ten kids, these ten moppets that she found in the woods that have been living in her house. Can I tell you something? Yes. Twelve ninety eight on Amazon. Is it really? Can I tell you something else? Do you yes. know who the director is? Mankiewicz. Uh, Henry Winkler. Yes, I knew no, that. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Michael, do you ever take uh, vacations during during the winter time? Uh, I tend not to. I think I maybe next year you should take a vacation to Tennessee during the winter time and go to the Smoky Mountain Christmas Festival at Dollywood. Is that a real thing? Features four million holiday lights and spectacular holiday performances, performances including Dollywood's A Christmas Carol, an all new adaptation of the Dickinson classic. <laughs> it's a five-time award winner of America's Best Christmas Event. It Dollywood Dolly- Smoky Mountain Christmas Festival. <laughs> I would love to go to Dollywood. I would love to see just how awful the people who go to Dollywood are. <laughs> I would love to. I love. I mean, I genuinely love Dolly. I genuinely think she's amazing. I love her. I think that the the bitch needs to stop with the plastic surgery because she does not even look like a human being anymore. No, she's starting to look like that lion lady. Right, exactly. The eyes have gone crazy, and the mouth is weird. Oh, but I love her. I think that she's so like real for the most part. Um, but <laughs> for her face, yeah. There's there's documentaries about people who like make pilgrimages to Dollywood, and it sounds like just the most bizarre place filled with weird people who have too much reverence for her. And I would love to see the that Christmas show, and one day I may travel there to see it because I would love it if Dolly was like playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Because can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? Sounds like a pop culture continuum field trip. <laughs> she could be <laughs> maybe a location it, recording. We could just it's, make up our own version. It's underscored by seven powerful new songs written by Dolly, <laughs> especially for this forty-five minute musical. Wait, since we're speaking of Dolly Parton. And we spoke of office space. I say the three of us do nine to five versus office space at some point. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Because I loved nine to five as a love kid. Love She's that. not playing Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> she could Wait. be Ebenezer Boobs. <laughs> Her boobs knees are Scrooge. Looks like she's one of the ghosts, although maybe she doesn't always play her. She's not always in it because some of the pictures are someone else with big boobs. <laughs> a Dolly Parton impersonator. <laughs> Was, I've never been to Dollywood. I assume it's filled with, instead of characters like Disneyland, it's uh, just a bunch of Dolly, uh, Dolly Parton impersonators all throughout the park. I think it is. I think it's like hokey old country mountain, Rocky Mountain. Or not Rocky Mountain, Smoky Mountain bullshit. Like it's like visiting know. the set of Hee Haw or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which sounds like amazing. And then there's one Lee Majors impersonator, but it turns out no, it's actually Lee Majors. <laughs> Lee Majors as Jacob Marley or some like minor <laughs> role. 
They actually just, give you a discount on your ticket if you run into Lee Majors, I think. <laughs> Directed by Henry Winkler. Um, um, but back to um, 9 to 5 office space, I think that's a great idea. I think that going, we should take a field trip to um, Dollywood so we can see their Christmas show. And um, That would be whatever. awesome, dude. Amazing. I think we should put on... What we th- what we th- we should write our own version of the Dolly Parton our own script and we could do a terrible. podcast of that. Great. <laughs> oh, I'm down. Well, you know what I'll do. Yeah, I'll read. You the read the script. Gotcha. Hey, I I I'm not even fucking around. I I say we do it. I think the Seriously? it would be even better if. Well, I don't know. This kind of this kind of stupid uh probably improv type bullshit, but like each of us writes a page. And then the next person writes the next page. Yeah, like a, um, what about an exquisite corpse? Yeah, yeah, without reading the, I mean, you just read like the last line or something of the, ooh, we can That would it. be fun. That would right. be so much fun. Well, we said it now um, on the internet, so obviously it has to be done. That's... So we'll do it for Christmas in March. Oh, yeah, my, my favorite Christmas, Christmas in March. <laughs> that's halfway between Christmas and when the next Christmas comes. It is exactly halfway, I think. Not even any specific date, just March. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, well, yeah. the 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 truth is, though, that this this work of this sort of epic quality will probably take at from least now two until days. next Christmas. <laughs> Which is two days, so that works. <laughs> Great. So just give me a call back, and we'll do it on Thursday. That's fine. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Um, are we done? I think so. We do have to do recommendations. recommendations. And I also, Pat, forgot to uh, stop between movies to put in uh, interstitial music. So, uh, oh, shit. Sorry, people. We'll do it next, the next, next time. Yeah. Not next time. No. That's, next time that's too is soon. Uh, best of songs. So yeah, so. best of 2013 part two will be next week's episode. Um, part two? Did you release part one? We did. Yeah, we did it Just earlier did, in the year. John puts those discs out once a month, and we just took our oh, right. top ten from the first six months, and now all this will be the top ten from the second six months. Gotcha. I used to get that email, and then I stopped getting it. Oh, I, I just copy the music list email that somebody else sends out, and I just copy and paste the name. So, well, mm-hmm. you know where my share drive is. That's true. It's all in I've there. It there so you don't put this list together now? Yeah, now it's someone else putting this this list together, huh, John? No, I'm talking about the mailing list for the <laughs> the music sharing that is highly illegal. Uh, just like most things we do on this podcast. Um, recommendations, uh, Pat. I read a great book this weekend that I think most geeks would like. It's called Ready Player One. It's oh, this, read it. You read it. Oh, forget it. They reference Rush. They do. They reference all kinds of geeky 80s and 70s stuff. It's this set in the future, this dystopia where... Uh, <laughs> dystopia. <the>, dystopia. <laughs> Wait, sorry. <laughs> I where the Pope is really upset. <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt you, Pat, but I was just wondering, is there ever has there ever been anything written about the future that was utopian? <laughs> Everybody thinks it's going to fall to shit for some reason, but... Well, uh, I'm, 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 from what I understand, the E and M Banks, uh, are culture novels. I think they're they are utopias. I have to, I haven't started reading them yet, but, but I've heard good things. So, I'll let you know after I read it. All right. Yeah. I guess there's really there's really no uh, edge to a utopian future. I don't know what you would have to write about, but never mind. Sorry. Go ahead. Ready Player uh, One. 
Oh, ready for and uh, he there's the, the the creator of this virtual reality dies and in his will he has the, a game set up where the the people who exi- uh, can use their skills to figure out the answers to his puzzles and if they do they inherit his company and his billions of dollars and it's a it's a fun little story kind of a kind of kind of a young adult novel I don't think it's marketed as such but it's it reads like Harry Potter that's it's how just, it reads yeah. It's a uh, an adventure, and it's uh, lots and lots of pop culture references that are mostly well done. And uh, yeah, go read it if you haven't already. I'm gonna recommend. Uh, we've talked about it. We actually did an episode on it. I don't know if it's fair for me to recommend it, but uh, Revenge. I've been. <laughs> I can't stop watching it. I don't know. What I just it is. I just binge watched three episodes last night. It was it was fun. Oh, there's a show called Revenge, or you're you're endorsing the concept. I'm both. <laughs> I always endorse the concept of revenge. Um, they say it's a dish best served cold. I think serving it warm feels just as good. I like it served hot, as you know, to to burn your tongue, <laughs> like a nice soup. Anyway, the TV show Revenge <laughs> is is my it's trashy good fun, man. And uh, I don't know how they're gonna keep it up. Like like we talked about, Pat. I think maybe one more season is as much as they can do. I think uh, so. Yeah. They're they're introducing too many new characters that I wish would just die. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how Emily Van Camp is in something else because she has a major part in the. Or I don't know how major she's in the new Captain America movie. Oh no shit! She's another she's another Colin Farrell. Uh, like I talked about, where I thought she was just like a an airheaded, you know, good looking young chick uh with with nothing there but she she can act yeah and then she's i mean this is this is this show is is soap opera just nothing but she does good stuff with it yeah and madeline stowe is fucking awesome to watch because she's maybe the most over the top uh person on tv right now and i'm including uh daytime soap operas wow so revenge yes that's my recommendation amazing i i can't believe i've never watched it Get on it, man. It's all it's on YouTube or I mean not YouTube, but it's on like Hulu or whatever, you know. Okay, girl, I hear you. I'll try it. Um, I would recommend I don't usually recommend music because as I've told you guys, like I have like Philistine thirteen year old girl like appreciation for music. But one thing that I love is um a band or a guy who is a I think it's a one man band called Bright Light, Bright Light, which is a reference to some movie from the eighties. Um, Goonies, uh, uh, Ghoulies, something like that. Um, Kremlins. Okay. Uh, I think Goon. I think it's is it is it Kremlins? Bright light, bright light. I guess. Kremlins. Yeah. yeah, I guess it is. I don't know why he calls himself that, but it's basically one guy, and um, he's sort of like Robin, um, in that he his music is like very like kind of danceable, but what he's singing about just makes you want to cry. <laughs> And it's like that whole like Robin does that like very like crying on the dance floor genre very well. And he's um, somebody that's relatively new, but he just released an album or a an EP called um, In Your Care that I've been listening to. And um, really, um, even though it's only four songs or five songs, um, I really love it and i think that um it's worth uh listening to if you like um upbeat music that has downbeat lyrics my favorite kind of music yeah yeah 
I, I'm a Robin fan. She needs to step up her game, though. I don't know what she's been doing. I have been, well, they're going on tour next year. There's a, a Roy. I can't pronounce the name of the band. The Roy Scott something. She and that that band are going on tour next year, which I would guess means oh Roy Scott. Yeah. Yes, them. They got a tour coming up. They're going to tour Europe and America. They just announced it, and. Um, I'm hoping that means that she's got a new album because I am. I still listen to Body Talk like it just came out, but um, I think she needs some new material. She does. I I remember she was like the musical guest on Saturday Night Live in like 2012 or something. I was like, oh, cool. And she just played Body Talk songs. I was like, these are two years old. And she just toured with Katy Perry like last summer as and just played Body Talk. And um, she just re released a song from Body Talk that's like. Like so, like it's been th two or three years. Like, let's get some new music, bitch. Girl, but, you probably figures if you're getting paid for it, why bother? Okay, but um, mm. Bright Light, Bright Light is kind of a nice like uh, filler. Well, he stands on his own, but he's kind of a nice like in between, um, kind of Patch Up Boise, kind of like Scissor Sisters influences, kind of. Um, 80s 90s sorry very 90s very um uh fun to listen to i'm sure that there's um some uh copy of it um that you will find if you were to look all right i i will uh, look around and grab it yeah all right bright light bright light named, that's right named after uh something from porky's apparently yes and pat's was day. uh ready player one and mine was revenge and next week uh 2013 Best Songs Part 2. And congratulations again to uh, Michael on his uh, sham marriage. <laughs> Finally getting that green card. We applaud you. Thanks so much. That means a lot. And thank you again for coming back, Michael. Um, sure. Everybody should just know uh, we, don't, we don't invite Michael on. We just He's just constantly searching skype and when he sees me and pat he he logs on and we're like all right i guess we'll do a podcast yeah well, there's that, no there's no getting rid of them but that's okay that's how you get neil and laura and uh mia right sure sure well, that's, that's how we I, get them yeah <laughs> what's it like using uh, neil's headphones <laughs> did he do something to my headphones <laughs> Hey, what we say off the air stays off the air. Oh, God. There's a trust. There's a sacred <laughs> trust. Well, they taste the same. <laughs> that's good. That, that's really all you need to look for. If you didn't notice, you're, you're probably safe. I think uh, Pat's got the, uh, the serum for it anyway. Maybe you can, he can give it to you next time you invite him to your next wedding. <laughs> Great, that'll be next Tuesday. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, thanks, Michael, and uh, thanks, everybody, and uh, happy whatever you celebrate. Write us at popculturecontinuum at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate us highly on iTunes. Yeah, rate us on iTunes, motherfuckers. We know you're listening. Yeah. Bunch of assholes. It takes, like, two seconds. Except for you, listener. No, I mean you, listener. Except for you, listener. Every specific person who's listening, you're an asshole. Go rate us on iTunes. Except for you. <laughs>
So until next week, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Merry Christmas. Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five Just a step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away In the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in And the tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll your way Working